we are continuing a series on the book of Proverbs. We're talking about uh, words and we're talking about the wisdom that they bring to our lives. We're, we're talking about today specifically friendship. In fact, we're talking about what great friends do. And before we jump in, I want to tell you, I know two things about you. The first thing I know about you is that you value intentionality. And the second thing I know about you is that you need friendships. I know that you value intentionality and that you need friendships. Here's what I mean. I know that you value your mechanic being intentional, right? I mean, you you hope that when you go and you take your car into the shop, that your mechanic is going to be intentional enough to really look over your engine, to really look over the body of your car, and to discern what it is that your car needs work on. I know that you value intentionality. I know that you value, as we're even beginning to think about like tax season coming up, I know that you value your tax person being intentional with the numbers, right? I mean, your, your hope is not, hey, just do whatever you want, write in whatever you want, I don't care what the IRS says. It's going to be okay. No, you're, you really do value intentionality. I, I took my kids to the dentist recently. Uh, I took Charlie and Brindley to the dentist. And Brindley is my middle child. She's three years old. And, and I'm telling you, I value that my dentist knows what they're doing, right? Like, I, I value that they're intentional about what they're doing. And in fact, um, Brindley, she's just so afraid of the dentist. And so she was holding on to me for dear life. And finally, it got to that moment where I had to put her down in the dentist chair. And think about it from the perspective of a kid. I mean, all of a sudden, you got this weird guy with a mask on. You never met him before. And or you saw him, you know, six months ago or whatever. And um, all of a sudden he's got this light shining down on your mouth and he's opening up and then he gets out like torture tools. You know what I mean? To like start operating on you or whatever. And Brindley looks up at me. Brindley looks up at me as soon as all this is happening. And I can just see in her eyes. She's like, daddy, am I going to be okay? Am I going to be okay? And as a good dad, I'm not going to say, well, I hope so, Bryn. You know what I mean? Like, I hope we make it, honey. No, I'm saying, man, I value that my dentist has been intentional enough, that, that my dentist is educated enough, that my dentist has enough experience to do whatever it is that they need to do. You, you value that the pilot is intentional. You value that the, the coach who's leading you is intentional. The chef at the kitchen you're eating at is intentional. You value intentionality, but you also need friendships. A study came out by National Geographic a few years ago that essentially uh, confirmed what, what scientists have been saying for years, that when we have healthy social interactions, that when we are in relationships with people, that when we have deep and meaningful friendships, that two um, hormones, two neurological hormones fire dopamine and oxytocin. That these, these neurological hormones, they fire, and it's really healthy for us. It's really important for us to have those. And in fact, they even found that, that when they studied teenagers' brains, they found that, that teenagers need this even more so. That teenagers need really healthy, accepting, loving, belonging friendships where they know that they are cared for and loved. And in fact, what they discovered is that whenever a teenager's brain is, is put under the microscope and, and that teenager does not feel loved, does not feel cared for, does not feel like they belong, that when they sense they've been rejected or left out or abandoned, that the same neurological pathways that are firing when someone is afraid for their life are the same neurological pathways that are firing when they feel rejected or like they don't belong or they've been forgotten. You see, God, God created us to need friendships. 
The, the author and psychologist and therapist, Henry Cloud, he has this quote. He said, our brains need three things to survive. They need glucose, they need oxygen, and they need relationships. And every time they've studied brains of people who didn't have meaningful relationships, who didn't have relationships where they were vulnerable and honest and, and that mattered to their lives, what they found in their brains is that there are dark parts where there should be light. That, that literally brains under a microscope do not look good when people don't have meaningful relationships. And because you value intentionality and because you need friendships, this morning what our hope is, is we hope to, through the words of Solomon and through these Proverbs, we hope to bring those two together and say, what would it look like to be great friends? What does it mean to be great friends? Because here's what we know about friendship, and if you're into the note-taking, maybe you can jot this down in your note. Great friendships don't just happen, they are intentionally built. Great friends don't just happen, they are intentionally built. And here's where wisdom comes into play. Maybe you're like, well, how how does wisdom fit into this? Here's what's interesting, and maybe you've made this same observation. That it doesn't matter how much information we have. In fact, right now, in the year 2018, we have access to more information than any other people in the time of the history of the world. I mean, we have so much access to so much information, and yet you've seen it just like I have. People who sometimes have the most amount of information make the most ridiculous mistakes and can't seem to get their lives together, and it's because this is true. More information does not always equal more wisdom. More information does not always equal more wisdom. And and here's what's different about wisdom. Wisdom asks this question. What is the best thing to do? What is the best thing to do? Wisdom is not asking the question, what's the quickest way to get out of this? What's the easiest solution? Wisdom asks the question, what is the best thing to do? And you can have all the information in the world and yet still have to answer the question, what is the best thing to do? I remember Sarah and I, early on in our marriage, we were part of a church that had an early Easter sunrise service. And we'd wake up at 3.30 and meet a group of students really early at this field and put on this service for our church. And it would end at about 8 a.m. And we'd all go have breakfast and then come home. And, and I remember just by, by 8 a.m., I mean, we were so wiped. We were so tired. And so on this Easter sunrise, on this Easter day, we decided to take a nap and and, and as we were taking a nap, I, I, you need to know that we, we had just bought a bed frame. We had just bought like a giant wood bed frame. And we had not installed it on our bed yet. And so it was leaned up against our wall in our bedroom. And so Sarah and I are taking a nap. And on this Easter Sunday, there was a, there was a crazy earthquake. There was a really violent, shaking earthquake. And, and for me, I mean, I sleep through anything. It'd be World War III. The kids are screaming. Someone's breaking the house and I'm out. You know what I mean? I got just, nothing's going to wake me up. Sarah, Sarah wakes up at just about anything. And so we're laying there and all of a sudden the, 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 uh, the bed frame against the wall starts shaking because of this violent earthquake. And, and it's, so, it's so loud and it's so overwhelming that I actually wake up. And, and maybe you've been in that moment where you were in a really deep sleep and then you woke up and you're not all the way there and you're trying to like get your bearings and figure out what's going on around you. Well, that's exactly where I was when this happened. As soon as I woke up, Sarah, I saw Sarah shoot out of bed. Like, like she just lunged out, like, like just sat up on bed, and she, and she said this, she said these two phrases. The first one she said is this, she said, come Lord Jesus, <laughs> which like, what? You know what I mean? Like, what? Like, is this a pre-rapture kind of experience? Like, come Lord Jesus, what are you, what are you, are you praying right now? What's happening? And again, I'm delirious trying to figure out what's happening. She says, come Lord Jesus. And then she says this, she says, she looks at me and she goes, did you see him? No, I didn't see him. 
Who's him? Who's him? Who are we talking about here? And I remember with all that information, I had to ask the question, what's the best thing to do? And here's what the best thing to do was. Um, the most violent weapon we have at our house is a, is a t-ball bat. And so I grabbed my t-ball bat. And I literally just jump out of bed and I'm like running around our small apartment. And I don't know if I'm about to beat Jesus or like somebody. I don't know. I'm just running around the house because I had all this information. And I had to ask the question, what's the best thing to do? The best thing to do is to figure out what the heck Sarah was talking about. You see, it, it, when you're talking about friendships, when we're talking about what great friends do. We're not just talking about how to get by. We're not just talking about what's easy or convenient. We're talking about what's best. And as we jump into this, I think you're going to notice with each one of these seven how God has been this for you. You say, I love this about God. I've said this before. God doesn't ever call us to do something that he hasn't done first. God calls us to love our enemies because he loved his enemies. God calls us to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters because he laid down his life for us. God calls us to wash people's feet and to serve because he did that for his disciples. You see, God is constantly in the business of doing for us and then saying, now I want you to go and do that for others. And so as we dive into this, I think you're going to be able to clearly see, oh, God has actually done that for me or God is doing that for me. And the thing that he's doing for you, he is calling you to go out and do for others. And, and the last little sort of remark before we dive in is this. As you hear this sermon, I guarantee you're going to be tempted to think the same thing I'm thinking. And you're, te- you're going to be tempted to think this. My friends, my friends need to hear this sermon because they need to start acting like that. You're going to hear some of the things I say and you're going you're gonna to be sitting next to your spout, spouse and you're going to nudge them and be like, remember that thing you said to me last night? Eric said that's not okay. You know what I mean? You, you're going you're to want to do that. Or you're going to be thinking, about, oh man, like I, I'm going to show this to somebody and I'm just going to say, hey, God just put you on my heart, aka change, you know, is what you're trying to say. And I'm going to ask you to suspend that for a minute. I'm going to ask you to suspend that. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. As you listen to these seven things that great friends do, I'm going to ask you to circle one, to circle one that you need to work on. I'm going to ask you to circle one of these seven that after you hear us talk about it, you go, okay, that's the one that I need to work on in my friendships, with my family, with my spouse, with my kids, with my parents, with my grandparents, with my friends at school, with my roommates, with my coworkers, with all the relationships in your life. I want you to circle the one that you're going, I need to work on this. And then at the end of the sermon, at the end of the sermon, some of you are like bonus point people and extra credit. Just by show of hands, were any of you those students in class or in school or maybe you're in school where you just loved extra credit? Anyone, any extra credit people out there? You know what I mean? Okay, so this part's for you guys. There will be extra credit at the end of the sermon, okay? There is going to be a way to get more bonus points than this. But to begin, to begin, the first thing I want you to do as you're listening to what it takes to be a great friend is I want you to circle one thing that you, not they, but you are deciding to work on. So let's jump in. Let's jump in. Great friends do this. Number one is this. This is the first thing that great friends do. Great friends are committed to each other. Great friends are committed to each other. Proverbs 18 to 24, 18, 24 says this, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I remember the very first life group that I was ever a part of. In fact, uh, Justin and Tina here on the front row, they invited me to be a part of this life group. And Sarah and I had never never been a part of a life group before. We had just been married and we didn't know them and, and we didn't know any of the other people. And I remember we showed up to the very first life group and we sat there. And after we left, I remember this conversation in the car, Sarah and I said, 
I'm not sure if we're going to like these people. No offense. Right? I'm, just, I'm not sure if these are going to be our people. Sometimes they have some different interests than us. Some of them are not in the same stage of life as we're in. And, and I just remember thinking, I'm just not sure that these are going to be our people. And we kind of talked about it. And then both Sarah and I, we, we made a decision. We made a decision that changed our lives. We had one quick moment in our conversation in the car that has affected us for the last eight years. And it was this. We said, you know what? Let's commit to these people. Let's commit to them. Let's, let's just make these people our people. And they're kind of crazy, but let's just do it. Let, let's say these are going to be our people. And in that moment, we made a decision. We said, when Life Group is showing up, we're going to commit. We're going to be there. That when, when we're thinking about who we're going to hang out with and the friendships we want to build, we're going to invest in these people. And we're going to commit to these friendships. And what has happened in our marriage and in our lives is nothing short of a miracle. I mean, you guys, because of these people and because of the life groups that I've been a part of, God has spoken to me in ways that I don't think he could have spoken to me in any other. God has challenged me on things. God has encouraged me. God has inspired me. God has called me. I mean, God has done such a great work in Sarah and I's marriage as we've come to these people and said, hey, you know what? We're hurting right now and, and we need some help. And they have prayed for us and given us resources and support. That when, when we had some health issues with our middle child, Brinley, it was these people who provided meals for us and cared for us and prayed for us. You see, it's, it's been these people who have sat me down and said, Eric, you're an idiot and you're goofing up, man. And it's these people who have said, Eric, you're not that much of an idiot. We love you. We're here for you. I mean, it's these people who God has used to change my life because we have been committed to them and they have chosen to be committed to us. And it's because this principle is true. On our worst day and on our best day, they have said to us and we have said to them, I'm not going anywhere. Maybe some of you have never experienced the joy of being in community, of being a part of a life group. And you guys, you are at the perfect time in history here at Purpose Church to experience that because we are launching in February. We are launching into a brand new series that you heard Pastor Glenn talk about, and it's called Unexpected Joy. And out in the lobby, uh, you'll, see, you'll see Pastor Greg and a few out there at a table. You can buy one of these books for 10 bucks. Um, Pastor Glenn has said that if you can't afford it, like he'll pick up the tab. So I'm just going to keep saying that. He'll pay for it, whatever. Just go get one of these books. Go get one of these books because this is going to help you. This is going to help you walk through the book of Philippians with us. But not only can you get a book out there that's going to help you in your study, but you can actually sign up to be a part of a life group. And if your life group isn't, is, is your life group already is together, I would encourage you to go through this. And if you're not in a life group yet, we are starting new life groups. And so my challenge and my encouragement is as you leave this room to go and to think about what would it look like? to choose to be committed to a group of people. And what if, what if, what if God could do an amazing work in our lives, in our marriages, in our friendships? So I wanna encourage you to show up. I wanna encourage you as you're thinking about what it means to be committed, it means when you say you're gonna be somewhere, you be there. Then when you tell somebody you're in, you're in. Choose to be somebody who shows up and who is committed. Because when you can look at somebody else and on their worst day and on their best day, you can tell them, I'm not going anywhere. That's a powerful thing. And some of you have marriages or friendships or family relationships where you know that. I mean, you've been at your very worst and your family in actions and in words has said to you, I'm not going anywhere. And you know, you know that when you're in that kind of relationship, when you're in that kind of friendship, there's all of a sudden all of this freedom and all of this room for God to do a great work in your life, for God to reveal something into you, for God to encourage you with something. 
for God to say something that, that he's been waiting a while to say, that you're just at the right time to hear. And so the first thing that great friends do is great friends are committed to each other. The second thing they do is great friends are trustworthy. Great friends are trustworthy. Check out what Proverbs 11 verse 13 says. It says, a gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. Why does a gossip betray a confidence? Because gossip never stays secret. I mean, gossip will always get out, and here's why. It's because gossip is Satan's favorite poison. I mean, it's the poison he loves to use more than any other poison to to destroy relationships, to to bring about division. You see, if we're truly going to be great friends, we got to choose to be trustworthy. And, And here's the thing about gossip. The reason we gossip and the reason we like to gossip is because gossip, gossip creates a quick connection with somebody. As you're, as you're talking about somebody behind their back, all of a sudden you feel like you have this intimacy with this person. It creates this quick connection really quickly, but it will always crumble and it will always fail. But the thing about being a trustworthy person, the thing about being someone that people can trust is that when, you're, when, the, when the way in which you relate to other people is through trust, you will build relationships slower. It'll take a little bit longer to build relationships, but those relationships will last. Those relationships will stand the test of time. And and maybe it's something else that somebody did to betray you. Maybe somebody said they would do something and they didn't do it. Maybe you had all these hopes in this relationship and it crumbled. And here's, here's the thing about relational wounds, is that relational wounds oftentimes last a lot longer than physical wounds. I remember when, um, when I was in the fourth grade. I mean, this is like 20 years ago, 21 years ago, when I was in the fourth grade. There was a girl who, who sat across from me. Her name was Brittany. And this was before Sarah. I mean, before Sarah, there was Brittany. And I was crazy about Brittany. I thought she was amazing. And I remember I was sitting across from Brittany as, as a fourth grader, and our teacher, Miss Mayflower, she, she decided to kind of pair us up. And, and, you know, every like three or four weeks, we'd switch seats. And, and on this rotation, I was sitting across from Brittany, and I thought she was absolutely amazing. And then, and then Brittany did the most amazing thing possible. She started to play footsies with me under the table, right? You've been there. I mean, you remember the first time you played footsies, right? Like all of a sudden, I was filled with all this joy, and I said, this is the woman I'm going to marry. I mean, it's happening, right? And then Brittany invited me over to her house, and, and, and I remember jumping in the minivan, and I didn't care that my mom was coming. I mean, that was just awesome. You know what I mean? Like, cool, my mom and Brittany, this is great. And so I'm, I'm getting in the car, and, and we go over to Brittany's house, and, and we're hanging out and, and having fun. Her parents are there, and we're just talking, whatever. And, and I thought Brittany and I just had this amazing relationship, right? Well, then, then a few weeks later, a few weeks later, Miss Mayflower decides to switch up the rotation. And all of a sudden, I moved from being across from Brittany, and all of a sudden, David Pike sits across from Brittany. I hated David, and then David is sitting there across from Brittany, and I'm over there, and I look, and guess what I see happen underneath the table? Brittany and David are playing footsies again. And I'm going, are you kidding? I remember my heart was broken. You guys, this was 21 years ago. And I'm telling you this story right now as a 30-year-old man. This is 21 years ago. Because you know what I know to be true. Relational wounds stay with you. Relational wounds hurt. So let's choose to be the kinds of great friends who can be trusted, who can be relied on. 
Number three, great friends address conflict, not avoid it. Great friends address conflict and not avoid it. Proverbs 27 verse six says this, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. You see, you will have conflict. I mean, Jesus said it, right? He said, you will have trouble in this world. Like, that's not, a, that, that's not a solution that comes when you start following Jesus. You don't have any trouble anymore. You will have trouble for the rest of your life. You will have trouble in some measure. The question is, the question is, when you have conflict with somebody, when there's some kind of tension, will you be somebody who avoids the conflict or will you be somebody who addresses it? You see, if you choose to address it, in honesty and in humility, you can actually resolve those conflicts. And it may be really scary, and there may be some really challenging conversations, but as you choose to address it instead of avoid it, I believe you're going to be able to do something that Pastor Glenn has taught us as a team, and he actually spoke about it last Sunday. If, if you missed his sermon last Sunday as he opened our series, you've got to watch that. And one of, one of the most amazing principles he's taught us as a church and our leadership team is the principle of the buckets. That you, whenever you go around, you have two buckets with you. You have a bucket of water and you have a bucket of gasoline. And when a conflict arises and there's some kind of fire, you can choose, you can choose to either pour gasoline on that fire or instead you can put that fire out. You could choose to use your bucket of water to put, to put out that fire. And I believe choosing to address the conflicts in our life, when you do it in humility and when you do it in honesty, when it's wrapped up in grace and love and you choose to address it, always for the purposes of reconciliation, always for the purposes of more connection and intimacy with that person, when you choose to do that, you are taking a bucket of water and that fire, that conflict, that issue will be dealt with. So you see, you have two options here. Do you choose to address it or to avoid it. Now, all of you already know this, but I'm just gonna say it. The worst place in the history of the world to address any of your conflicts with each other is online. Avoid it at all costs, at all costs. Social media is not the place, it's not the environment to air out your frustrations with everyone else. It's not effective, nobody else likes it, people unfollow you, it's no good for you, it's just no good. So avoid it on social media and instead choose to go directly to the person. Number four is great friends make each other better. Great friends make each other better. Check out what Proverbs 27 verse 17 says. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. This is one of the coolest things about following Jesus. It is that when he was leaving planet earth and he was entrusting his disciples with this message, what he said to them is he said, disciples, go and make disciples. You see, God's grand vision and dream and plan for your life is not that you would just soak up all the Bible knowledge you can, that you would become an expert in all the original languages, that you would, have, that you would be the Bible answer man, you would have all these answers. That is not only God's desire for your life. Of course, he wants you to do that. And of course, he wants you to grow in that relationship. But God desires that you would be a disciple who goes and makes disciples, that you would be a follower of Jesus who goes and helps others follow Jesus. This is why one of our core values here at Purpose Church is found people, find people. Because we believe that your job, we believe that your job is to go out and take this message, this life change, this event, this reality that God has come, that he died on a cross for you, rose from the dead, that he is giving you his power and his life, and that you are living a brand new life by the power of the Holy Spirit. To take that message, to take that hope, and to share it, and to be somebody who, who blesses others 
with that news. Maybe some of you are in a dating relationship. And I want to encourage you that as you're thinking about who you're going to date and as you're thinking about some of your friends, are you dating somebody right now or are you pursuing a relationship with somebody right now? Who is sharpening you? You see, one of the things that I think as I see that great marriages have is great marriages and great friendships have this ability to point one another closer to Jesus. So I'd ask you that, that person, and, and you know, I hope this doesn't offend, but I'd just ask you that, that person that you're dating, that person that you've been with for a while, or that you're pursuing right now, that you're crazy about, that you just can't stop thinking about, is that person leading you closer to Jesus? And when it comes to friends, of course we need friends who don't know and love Jesus, but it is so important. This is why life groups and small groups and being in community is so essential here at Purpose Church. Because we believe that you need to be around people who are pointing you to Jesus and who you are pointing back to Jesus. Number five, great friends use their words wisely. Great friends use their words wisely. Proverbs 12 verse 18 says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You see, there are a lot of ways to show people that you love them. I mean, you could do something nice for them. You could bring them something. But one of the most powerful things that you can do is choose to be somebody who uses their words wisely to bless and to love and to serve others. In Sarah and I's marriage, we have this rule. There, there are two words that, we, that you won't hear us say. The two words are this, never and always. I would encourage you in your friendships, in your relationships, even with your roommate, that words like never and always are not wise to use because they're not true. Because whenever you use the word, you never do that. Or Sarah says, you always do that. It's not true. It's only intended to hurt. It's only reckless and it pierces and it doesn't benefit anyone. I'm not saying don't deal with the issues, but isolate them. Call them out when they happen. Have specific examples, but don't use words like never and always. And then some of you, some of you are, have the privilege of being surrounded by young people. And you have people who, who around you who maybe don't have the best parents or the best grandparents. Or maybe they haven't heard in a while who they really are. And I've challenged you with this before, but I want to encourage you to be people who are generous with your words. That if you notice somebody that's younger than you doing something awesome, would we be a church that would call them out? I mean, we have over 60 high school students who every single Sunday are serving across this campus. Can I challenge you as a church that when you walk by a young person and you see them in church with us and you see them serving, that you would stop and say, that's amazing. That's incredible. I'm so proud of you for doing that. Choose to be somebody that's generous with your words. Or, or maybe you've been in a marriage for a while and you haven't really told each other how you feel and you've just kind of become roommates. You know one of the best ways to sort of get back on track is to start expressing gratitude to each other. I, I, I'm telling you, I, I want you to write, I want, you, I want you to think about the most small, minute ways, very specific ways that you could express gratitude to the people that are closest in your life. And choose to be wise with your words. Choose to be generous with your words. There's this podcast that my wife listens to um, called The God-Centered Mom. 
And uh, before the host, Heather, before she was a podcast radio host, uh, she was a speech therapist. And she would walk with families and she would help them, uh, help their kids who were deaf, who were incapable of hearing. She would help them try to begin to communicate with each other. But all the while, the kids could never actually hear what their parents were saying to them. And she talks about in one of her podcasts that she's had the unique privilege of walking with these families for months and sometimes years. And oftentimes she would get this amazing opportunity to be in the room after the kid had had a surgery that corrected his hearing to where he would be able to hear his parents' voice for the very first time. And she talks about how she would sit in that room and has done this with dozens of families and yet without being coached, without being coached and without fail, the parents would always say the exact same things to their kids. I mean, imagine that. Imagine if you were unable to speak to your kid for years and years and years, and you had the opportunity for the very first time to say something that they would hear, what would you say? Well, what's crazy is over and over and over again, without being coached and without fail, parents say the exact same thing. One of the the girls that she worked with was a girl named Lucy. And as Lucy came in from the surgery, she sat down and her parents looked at her and they said, Lucy, It's mom and dad. We love you. Lucy, it's mom and dad. We love you. Lucy, it's mom and dad. We love you. You guys, I think sometimes, even as Christians, we begin to lose our hearing. That maybe because of the messages that we're bombarded with, or maybe because of the discouragement that we live under, that that we begin to lose our ability to hear the voice of God. And one of the best ways to to hear God's voice again is through scripture and through the friends that are rallied around us. And what if you took it on as like one of your life missions is I'm gonna remind deaf people that they need to hear the voice of God again. I I need to remind people who have spiritually lost their hearing what God wants to say to them. I mean, what if you were somebody who went around to people, you went around to people like me and, and you said, Eric, God knows you. He's real and he loves you. God knows your name. God is real and he loves you. You see, if we choose to use the words that we have to be generous and to be wise, I think we're gonna see God do miraculous, incredible things. He created the heavens and the earth through words because words bring healing. Number six, great friends forgive and rebuild. Great friends forgive and rebuild. Proverbs 17, nine says it this way. Whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Notice that word, whoever would foster love. I mean, this is something you have to do. And I can guarantee you this, that people will offend you, people will hurt you. And it might be something really, really small, or it might be something huge. I mean, it, it might kind of wreck your day or it might wreck your life, the kind of offense that you'll experience. But you, even though in that moment you were out of control, you have control to respond in one of two ways. You see, when somebody offends you, you can either choose forgiveness or you can choose bitterness. You can choose to be somebody who says, that was wrong. That was not okay. But I am going to forgive you. And the thing is, if you follow that path of forgiveness, what's going to happen is over time, your heart is going to soften. Over time, you're going to be able to let go of that wound, that thing that that person said or did to you. 
But if you choose bitterness, you know what happens? Every single day, like Groundhog's Day, you wake up in the same place. You wake up just as bitter, just as hurt, just as jaded, just as resentful. And you're holding on to it because you want them to feel the pain. But are they the one feeling the pain or are you the one feeling the pain? My, uh, my mother-in-law is one of the most incredible examples of this. When she, uh, one day when, when she was driving to a birthday party, she was actually in the passenger seat and her, her husband Pat was in the driver's seat and behind Pat was Sarah's oldest sister, Kristen, and to the left of Kristen was Sarah. Sarah was one and a half years old at this time. And they were driving in the afternoon to a birthday party, all four of them as a family. And on the way to the birthday party, a drunk driver who was four times the legal limit ran a red light and T-boned them on the driver's side. The, the, the drunk driver got out of the car totally fine and had no idea what had happened. I mean, he was just so drunk that he had, had no idea what was going on. Well, what had happened is instantly, Sarah's dad, Pat, and her older sister, Kristen, were killed. Sarah's mom and Sarah were rushed to the hospital and Sarah, as a baby, had surgeries and broken bones and, and her mom, still 30 years later, her mom still lives with chronic back pain. Well, a few months after this tragic, horrific experience, it came time for the trial. And at the end of the trial, there's an opportunity for the victims to stand up and speak. And Sally, my mother-in-law, stood in front of all those people. And she looked at the man who took her husband and her oldest daughter in the blink of an eye. And she looked at him, and with tears in her eyes, she said, I forgive you. I forgive you. Now, some of you have maybe met Sally, and you, you might meet Sally. And, and if, if you meet her, you'll instantly think, this woman has never had any problems in her life. I mean, she is so full of joy. She is so full of life. She's a prayer warrior. I mean, she's constantly encouraging me. She constantly texts me. She's like, Eric, you're my favorite preacher. I mean, she's just awesome. She's so, such an incredible, incredible woman. So full of joy and life. But then you find out about her story and you go, how? How when, when your husband and your daughter were taken from you? How could you be like that? And it's because as painful and scary as it was, Sally, in the most critical moment of her life, chose forgiveness over bitterness. I don't know what you're bitter about right now, but I know your bitterness is not going to make you better, and it's not going to help you. And so I want to encourage you to choose to be somebody who forgives and who rebuilds. The last one. Great friends draw each other out. Great friends draw each other out. Proverbs 20 verse 5 says this. The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. The most amazing gift that you can give someone is this. A picture of themselves they themselves cannot see. One of those amazing gifts you can give somebody is a picture of themselves that they themselves cannot see. And so the friends around you that once you've invested for the long haul, those friends around you, I want to encourage you to be somebody who draws them out. That God may be calling them to do something, to take a risk, to try this, to go there. 
And maybe they're, they're nervous about it and they're worried. And God's waiting for you to be the person that draws them out and to give them, a, give them a picture of what you see that they themselves cannot see. Well, as the worship team is coming back up and as, as we're wrapping up, I told you that I had some bonus points for you. I told you that there was some extra credit. And here's the extra credit. You've taken up to this point and, and maybe circled the one great thing that you want to work on, the one thing that you're committed to working on. But here's what I want you to do next. If you're bold and if you're crazy and if you're brave and if you want extra credit, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pick someone in your life that's close to you, a friend, a spouse, a roommate, a coworker. And I want you to show them this list of seven things that great friends do. And I want you to ask them this question. Which of these seven things do you think I need to work on? Which of these seven things do you think I need to work on? That's crazy. I get that, but I want to challenge you. And then this week, this week, that's what you're focusing on. The one you circled and the one that they said you need to work on. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for our time together. I ask God that as we reflect on friendship and that Jesus, you even called your disciples friends of yours. That because we're friends of you, God, and because God, you have friended us in the greatest, most amazing way. I pray, Lord, that we would become great friends. That as we're thinking about the things that we're struggling with and as the person we love is speaking into our lives about the areas where we can improve this week, God, because you have been this for us, would we be this for the people in our lives? We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.